we didn't even pay ourselves for like two years. Like I was driving Uber in the morning and then going into work, right? Like we were all working full time on this and also figuring out ways to like have some rent money. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Jim Snedeker, who is the owner of a clothing company based out of Chicago, Illinois, called Stock Manufacturing Co. It is a men's clothing company, and as a man, I can tell you they make some really, really badass clothes, and I want like absolutely everything that is for sale on their website. Um, it's a really cool, interesting story of how they started and like the hardships that they went through and the things that they learned and how they really bootstrapped their way to success and didn't take um, venture capital money. It was just a lot of hard work and elbow grease. So if you have ever wondered, um, like when you're buying clothes off a rack somewhere, like who the hell starts a clothing company and how does that even happen? And how do you go from somebody who just likes clothes to somebody who actually makes them for a living? Um, Jim is about to tell us about how all that goes down. So without further ado, here is clothing brand owner. Jim, thanks much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Blake. Absolutely. So I'd love to first start out with just hearing the backstory of Stock Manufacturing Co. and like how you started it, what made you start it. Because I think a clothing company is really interesting and in that there's like a lot of people who like clothes. But mm-hmm. a lot of that doesn't translate for a lot of people. And they're like, oh, I should make them. You know, that's right, like it, right. it seems like this very difficult thing to undertake. So how did this all start for you? Yeah. So there's five of us that started the company. Um, we all were kind of clumped together in, in different backgrounds. Um, there was Jason and I who were running. We were running an online shopping site for like a year and a half where we were basically curating designs um, from like up and coming brands that we thought were cool and featuring them for limited time sales on, on our website. Um, Tim and Mike were actually had started and were running a small menswear brand of their own. Um, more traditional, like wholesale model men's clothing company. Um, and then Isle, who's the owner of the factory that we're partnered with, he has been running this factory for 20 years. It's been in his family for like 40. Um, so Jason and I, um, this is back in like, let's see, tw- 2000, summer of 2012. Jason and I were looking to get into making some things um, to, to feature on our website. We were looking to go a little bit more vertically integrated. Um, and Tim and Mike were um, had been working on the idea. Tim, Mike, and Isle have been working on the idea for a vertically integrated menswear brand. Um, basically... Jason and I were having trouble drumming up enough interest in our site. And Tim and Mike were having trouble drumming up enough uh, interest for people to, to kind of take a risk on whole, for stores to wholesale their clothing. Right? It's just post-recession was just hard to get new brands into small boutiques. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, Isle is the owner of the factory. was just always looking for interesting projects to work on. And they had come up with this the general idea for what became Stock Manufacturing Co. Like they had some of uh, the basic branding outlined and had started working on some prototype products. They wanted to create just a little bit more mainstream, accessible men's clothing that was still like unique um, and cool, but really focused on just like good, solid clothing with interesting fabrics and, and good fits. Um, and they wanted to do it, you know, cut out all the middlemen involved um, and, and just go like, they would source it, develop it, design it, and then Isle would manufacture it, and they would all own the company, so it would just be a totally vertic- vertically integrated process. Um, but they didn't really have any background in sales or marketing or retail or anything like that, which is where Jason and I came from. So when we met with Isle in, in spring, summer of 2012 to pitch this one idea we had, he kind of came back with, hey, well, listen to what we're working on here. It, these things kind of align, and I think maybe you guys it would be a good fit for what you, you guys are trying to do. Um, so, oh, so you hadn't even met them up until that point, and then no, I'll introduced no. all you guys together. Yeah, exactly. So Jason and I knew each other, um, and Tim and Mike obviously knew each other, um, and Tim and Mike met Isle through like some Chicago fashion industry thing. Um, so we all kind of came from 
from different backgrounds um, and met serendipitously through the factory. And um, so we had a couple meetings, generally like over beers and tacos. We kind of decided on, all right, here's, you know, there's five of us, which a lot of people start a company with, but we all kind of fit unique uh, skill niches. Like we all come from different backgrounds and have different sets of skills. Um, you know, this should work out pretty well. So we did, uh, started the company based off that. And, you know, the reason that we decided that this was like a, a business worth starting is when they were kicking around the idea to me of vertically integrated and yada, yada, yada. Um, there were all these brands that we followed, these made in USA brands, like, you know, the made in USA thing was just starting to get that kind of like that cachet back like 2012. Like it was, it was hot, but like, we all like these brands. Like I followed a lot of these made in USA brands and Tim and Mike were very knowledgeable about them. They're also expensive. We realized like none of us were really buying from any of these brands. We just like thought they were cool and like would sometimes sit and wait for sales. Um, so we decided like, why don't we try to make, you know, we make this made in USA brand with this huge advantage with it, which is being partnered with this factory and having design in house and doing everything ourselves. Why don't we skip all the middlemen, like not even try to sell wholesale, not even try to grow that side of the business. Let's just sell through our website directly to the customers mm -hmm. and sell things at half the price that they would cost if we were selling to stores. And now because of the fact that you knew Isle and you had the factory and everything, did you kind of have a good grip on what your costs would be? Because I feel like that's something that I would certainly think if I was looking at all these other US made goods and I thought like, wow, these are all really expensive. I would be like, there's got to be a reason why they're so expensive, right? Like may maybe you cannot make them for cheaper than that. Like had, well, had, had you talked to Isle and kind of knew that maybe you could make them for less? Well, we're not making them for any less. That's the thing. Um, we just don't sell. Like, so the way, the way clothing works, right, is you, or, or really anything that's available in a store, but like the model for clothing is this. Someone makes them and the manufacturer, let's say the manufacturer, manufacturer charges you $10. Then the brand would then sell to the store for 20 to $30. And then the store then sells to the customer for anywhere from like 40 to $60, right? You're, you're marking everything up two to two and a half X along the way. Um, so it probably cost the manufacturer five, six bucks and they sold it to the brand at 10 and then the brand sold to the store at 20 and the store sold it to you at 40. Um, so what we were doing is just taking the store side out of things. So it would cost five bucks to make and we would, and then, you know, the, the factory would quote unquote sell it to us at 10. Um, so they'd make a few bucks there and then we'd sell it to the customer at 20 or 25 instead of it ending up in their hands for 40 or 50. That right. makes sense. Yeah. We're just cutting out like that middleman step. So everything's the exact same. It's the same cost as, as any of the other expensive stuff out there. Um, same fabric, same hardware, same construction methods. Like it's all high end stuff. It's just sold at, what you know is more comparable to like a J Crew type price point instead of um, you know a, a made in USA men's boutique that you would go to. Yeah, for sure. Being able to to lower the price to where you guys are at is is a lot of that also attributable to the fact that you guys are, I guess, straight up like making these making this yourself, and part of your partnership is is with um, the factory. Or it, it like does that not really come into play? Um. It, yeah. So the way, kind of the um, the advantage of working with the factory is we were able to um, do smaller runs of things and get priority on getting that stuff done. So like a lot of brands, it's really hard to start a clothing brand because it's people will give you a minimum of like, if you're lucky, 100, 100 pieces, right? That's like the minimum if you're lucky. Most fa And factories will like, really give you low priority to get your stuff done if you're only wanting 100 pieces per style. Like A lot of places won't even talk to you for less than 500 pieces per style. Like We were doing runs of 20, 30 pieces just to start getting product out there to start um, you know, turning over some money and getting some cash in the door and, and getting some awareness of our brand. Like, so we weren't stuck doing, you know, holding 100 pieces of inventory of three shirt styles. Like We were we were doing 30 pieces of like five shirt styles and not sitting on a ton of inventory. So that, that was a big advantage for us. Like we weren't necessarily saving money because like I'll still had to make money for his factory, 
but he was giving us priority and giving us special treatment, which is which is really what helped us. Yeah, it's just those little those little shifts that you need to like help mm-hmm. give you a leg up. That's really cool. Yeah. So you mentioned kind of the trouble that you were having with your prior business where you were um, just working with other brands and trying to help sell their clothes. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned the other guys that are part of stock now, how they were having a little bit of trouble growing their business to the size that they wanted. Like, it looks like stock is doing very well, like in in the amount of like press that it's garnered in the amount mm-hmm. of partnerships that you guys are making and stuff like that, which I'd love to talk about more later. But like, how did that all happen? Like, how is it that you guys were all kind of having a little bit of trouble with your businesses before and then everything just kind of like clicked with stock? Is it because you had the help of these extra hands so people could get more specific? So like you could use more of your marketing background mm-hmm. and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think really what it was is we just... Stock was a product that filled a gap and was unique. Whereas before we were just like we were just running this online shopping site featuring other people's brands that really had no name recognition and we didn't have any name recognition or marketing dollars. So it's like we just weren't we weren't providing any kind of like terribly unique service. We learned a lot, but like there was nothing unique about what we're doing. For Tim and Mike, there's I mean, nine million startup clothing brands out there that are all trying to sell shirts that are, you know cost them 40 bucks to make and they sell them for 80 then the store sells them for 190 like there's just a, it's really hard to to get that kind of differentiation and and notice um so for us we created a brand that had a differentiator built in right like american made stuff made in this factory you can see the factory you can you know you, there's a video showing you the inside of the factory like our story is really centered around chicago and this factory and oh yeah everything is um you know, more affordably priced than our competitors. Yeah. You know, we, we just created a more compelling business um, and everything kind of snowballed from there. So I want to talk about the decision to manufacture in the US. I mm-hmm. like, it sounds like for you guys, um, it's just like the way that the opportunity presented itself. Mm-hmm. So I won't really talk about the decision to manufacture in the US, but let's talk about the cost of manufacturing in the US because I'm sure that that's something that you are like keenly aware of. So like, what is the difference really for a brand that wants to manufacture here versus manufacturing in you know China or Thailand or Vietnam or whatever? Sure. Um, so the actual cost per garment is significantly lower in China or India or wherever, right? Like, you know, we're paying generally like 20, 20 to 30 bucks cut and sew for a finished shirt or pair of pants, um, which is expensive. Like you can get it done for under 10 bucks easily overseas. The problem is a, there's the landed cost, ultimately right like they need it needs to get packaged and shipped and everything and go through customs and 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 everything to get to the u.s so that price gets driven up on the back end from those additional Mm -hmm. uh costs but it still comes out to be significantly cheaper generally the other thing is like i said before the the minimums and the quantities and and then something i didn't touch on before is turnaround times right like right now we order some fabric for a run of shirts we want to make and we often have those shirts done in like four to six weeks. So we can operate in like inside of a season almost, right? Like we can make a decision on something in May that like, hey, we should really do these short sleeve shirts because we've noticed like these ones we did are doing really well. So let's make some more and have them out in time to still hit that season, right? Like that, um, that's a huge advantage for us working locally. Whereas in China, like your lead times can be eight months, to Damn. get something to you, wow. you know? So like, we're not, our business, I mean, we're almost four, four years of business house. And like, we're not in survival mode anymore. We're in growth mode. Like we can, we can plan out ahead of time. But like we, we still really aren't in a position where it would make sense for us to commit a bunch of like our budget and inventory to something that's not going to, we're not going to recognize cash flow for, for six more months or 10 more months, you know, yeah. like we're able to operate on a much quicker cash flow schedule, which has really helped. Um, and like I said before, minimums, like the, there are places you can work with overseas that are, will allow you to do smaller runs of things. But like a lot of the really good factories, like you've got several hundred piece minimums, right? And like, that's just, 
has never been relevant to our business. And I don't think ever will be, even if we're doing, you know, as we grow, even if we get to hit some of the goals we're looking to hit, like we're never looking to do big runs of things. Like we want to do small runs of things. And if they go well, then we replenish them quickly. Um, but like our entire business model and the way we've built the business is basically predicated on quick turnaround times. And like, that's something we're working on very actively right now and have been working on for a while is creating manufacturing processes that cut our turnaround times even by like 80% from what we're doing now. Like we want to be able to restock things in days instead of weeks. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like, you know, obviously there's the nice uh, cultural benefit of manufacturing in the US, but you get so many actual tangible benefits from manufacturing in the US too, that the extra dollar cost is, uh, it doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal because of how many extra benefits you get from making it here. Yeah, sure. And, um, that's true. And, um, the other thing too, is like, there is a marketing aspect to being made in USA. Like there are people that seek out USA made goods. Um, it is like a thing. Um, I think it's less of a thing than it was even a couple of years ago. Like, and I don't think it's made in USA as a marketing mechanism is ever going to be something that gets you to like a hundred million dollar brand as a new brand. Um, because I don't think enough people actually care about it and are willing to pay the increased price. Like what we tried to do is take away that, that one roadblock to, to people buying USA. Like a lot of people say they want to buy a USA, but like just can't stomach the price. So they go somewhere cheaper. Like we're trying to take that roadblock out and be like, all right, it's not cheap, but at least it's still as affordable as going to like J. Crew Banana Republic or something like that. Right. So, um, that's sort of like part of our business model as well as like, we're, we don't use made in USA as like a crutch to stand. That's not the only thing about our brand, but it is a differentiator. And and we use that as a way to like get a little extra attention as well, because we are doing something unique within USA made. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I mean, it's such a niche that needs to be filled. I like talking to a lot of my friends and stuff. I have certain friends that will only buy made in USA goods and it's, it's just so, so difficult financially to do that for the most part, you know? And, uh, so that's really nice to try to bring the cost down to a point where, I mean, there's a lot of people that I assume would want to buy made in USA goods, but it's just so damn expensive that they can't, you know? So to, to provide goods for those people is fantastic. Yep. I mean, people like me. So that's great. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. So we've taken, um, like a pretty, what I'd call channel agnostic approach to growth. Um, you know, it's always been direct to consumer and that's our, our, our pricing model and our business model, but we've always taken opportunities on a kind of an a la carte basis and seen kind of vetted out what works and what doesn't and what's worth pursuing and, and gone from there. Like very early on, we did a partnership with Bloomingdale's, um, we had a connection there, locked into it and like grew it from two stores to 22 stores in like under a year. Um, just, we were just doing like pocket squares and hats with them. Um, but it was a thing where like we were making significantly less money cause we, we wanted the things available at the store to be the same prices on the site. Right. So like right. we took a very significant hint to our margins, but it was still like, Upfront, upfront cash flow when we were a brand new business, which was great, and huge exposure and brand recognition too. Like we've taken a lot of opportunities where it's like, if we do this, we'll get a lot of notice for it, and people that maybe have sort of known about us but not paid attention or whatever, like it may validate us, right? So like the Bloomingdale's that was an example of that we've done, and then what we've done with other stores or online shopping channels is we've created collections exclusively for those places, right? So like there's a, a, a newsletter called Huckberry, uh, not a newsletter, it's a website and they have a, a huge email list. Um, and they basically, it's like a lifestyle site and they also sell clothing. That it's a store essentially. And what we've done with them is like, it doesn't make sense for us to wholesale our shirts and our jackets and stuff for them because we don't make any money. So what we've done is created like four or five piece collections exclusively for them. And it's not available on our site. It's not available anywhere else. And we'll solve them for a little bit more money. So we do make some, some margin on it. And thus it's a little more expensive to buy our stuff through Huckberry, but like you, it's a very small run. You can only get it through them. So those are, are 
and it's still set like it says like it's Huckberry, but it's made by you guys. So anyone that's buying it, like when they receive it, they're gonna like then they'll know about your brand. Right, right. It, like it, it's available through Huckberry, and like I think we've done things that say like stock exclusively for Huckberry, or, or we've do- definitely done that for other stores. Um, but it's still like our brand. It still has our our branding and everything in it. It's just like you can only get it there. So it's a kind of a special one-off thing. Yeah. Um, so we've done that. And then the absolute biggest channel we've used in lieu of having a, a robust wholesale business. Um, and when I say wholesale business, I mean like actively going and trying to sell to stores. Like that's how most brands work, right? Like you make stuff, you get samples and line sheets and you go out and you try to sell the stores. They order it. And then a few months later, you deliver it to them for the upcoming season. Like in lieu of having that traditional business, what we've done is we have leveraged the fact that we have design and manufacturing in-house to um, become a preferred outfitter for a large amount of hospitality companies here in Chicago. Um, we're actually actually in New York and LA now too, but the main focus of the business has been in Chicago. And what I mean by that is we'll design and make uniforms for hotels, restaurants, bars, um, all over the city and, and all over the country now. But like, some of the, a lot of the most prominent restaurants in Chicago, like we're designing and making uniforms for their staff. Um, so that's a way where we get large orders, big checks, uh, and everything, and, and that kind of like cash flow that you get from a wholesale business. Um, that's how we kind of replace that in our business is doing this. And it's a really unique niche. Like there's not a really a competitor doing exactly what we do in that space. Um, and that has been huge for us, both from a cash flow perspective, but also from a brand affinity perspective. Like when people started finding out that we were creating uniforms for like Alinea, which is the, the top ranked restaurant in the world multiple different times, or Soho House, which is like a really cool members only club in Chicago or all over the world, actually. Like when people find out we're doing the uniforms for their staff, um, that kind of just helps our like our brand equity, right? Like people like, oh, they're Soho House wears their stuff. They must be interesting. They must be cool. And that's like a big niche that we've carved out for ourselves. Of course, that kind of stuff is priceless. How yeah. the hell did that even happen? Like, how do you how do you do that? Um, so the maybe like two and a half years ago, Alinea, uh, the executive chef at Next Restaurant, actually, was, Tim knew a little bit from college. Um, and he just emailed Tim. He's like, hey, I know you got this clothing brand that you guys are running. Like, do you do uniforms? Because we're looking to do different uniforms at Next and Alinea. Tim was like, of course we do. We, we didn't. But he was like, yeah, of course we do. Well, <laughs> when, when like literally Alinea was the top rated restaurant in the world at the time, I think they just got the James Beard Award for best restaurant again this year. Um, but I was like, those guys come and ask you to do something. You just figure out how to do it, right? And they're small restaurants. Like, it doesn't make us much money at all. But like, it's cool. So... We worked with them, we did their uniforms, um, and we provided kind of a level of service that they weren't used to. Like we went in and met with the chefs and the GMs and the staff, and we asked what's the vision for the space and also like what's functionally not working well for you, you know, the staff members, like where can we improve on this? Um, and then created something for them that like matched the vision of what the GMs and the owners were looking for, but also were more fun- functionally sound for the staff. Hmm. Um, and then we were able to create them and, and charge them less money than what they were paying at the time. Not a lot less, but like less and get things to them much quicker than they were getting them before. Um, so from there, it's just like, I think Goose Island was the next one. Like they, they're obviously a huge company and they are a very big company. They found us. We told them we were working with Alinea Next, which gave us the credibility. We created some stuff that they liked. And now we have like a very good relationship with them moving forward. And then like from there, it was just kind of um, like I used a personal connection for one restaurant group and, and we did a good job with them and we're still working with them. And then like Soho House two summers ago was about to open in Chicago and they actually came to us to see if we wanted to like be members of the place because um, they were looking for like these you know creative industry people to be members there. And we were sort of like, well, we're running a very small kind of like <laughs> yeah. starting business. Right I don't now. know I don't how have, much money you think we have. I don't but... have a couple grand to like a, you know, <laughs> yeah. pay for a club, uh, you know, a city club right now. 
but here's what we've done. You know, what are you guys doing for uniforms? And we pitched them on kind of the story of like, you know, you guys are opening this old belt factory in Chicago, like do something with a Chicago centric brand. We've already proven ourselves with these companies. Um, and we got that. And, you know, just to, to have your first few accounts be Alinea and Goose Island and so on. like, it's really almost since then just kind of, it's a small industry and it's just word of mouth. Like we, we really have never, I think there's one restaurant that we worked with that, that my partner Tim made an outbound sales effort to, and everything else has just been sort of like we've continued to do a pretty good job and like work with cool places and they just, it just has kind of snowballed from there. That's awesome, man. There's just such yeah. a good lesson in there about just, you know, keeping your head down and really working hard and providing like the absolute best service that you can. And, you know, yeah. opportunities will, will get referred to you and will come to you if you're doing a great freaking job. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of been our, our motto so far, just like keep, working as hard as we can, like figure out what we're doing poorly and how do we do that better? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the manufacturing process. So first of all, like how much time are we looking at to make one single shirt? Like how much time to make a t-shirt? How much time to make a, like a button down shirt? Yeah. So that really, that really depends, like massively depends on a lot of things. Um, so like the actual time for us to do a button down shirt from like it's cut to it's finished being sewn is, and buttoned up and pressed and everything. I mean, the actual time it's being worked on is maybe a couple hours, but that process can take a month or six weeks because things get cut and then bundled and then moved and then moved to another thing. Like it's not. Yeah, you're there's not just making it all in order just to make that right. one shirt and that's it. And like, right. And then there's, I mean, that's the production process. Then there's, you know, what are called sample makers, which, which you think of as like a more traditional like seamstress who like, they're the ones that will just sit at their sewing machine and just make our shirt for us. And that takes a few hours of work. So like, sorry, I should backtrack. When we're doing the actual production process, the actual time on the garment of someone cutting and sewing it is maybe 45 minutes to an hour, but it can take four or six weeks for a seamstress to be like sitting and doing something. It takes her a couple hours, two, three hours. Um, so the seamstress doesn't make every single one of them. The seamstress, what just makes the first like make, demo pieces yeah, and then the sample. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Then what happens after that? How are they made after that? If not with the seamstress? So then if the samples right, like fits good and it's what we want to go forward with it, then we take what's called the pattern, which is basically the, the puzzle to the garment. We lay that pattern down over a piece of paper trace it to get all the, the pattern pieces traced on the paper. That's called the marker. And then the marker goes over. We lay all the fabric out in plies. Um, the marker goes over that. The cutter, the, it's like a big kind of handheld knife, traces the pattern um, to cut into pieces. The pieces then are bundled and sent into the sewing line. Um, and everything's done at our factory in an assembly line format. So like one person sits and does sleeves all day. One person sits and says, does collars all day, et cetera, et cetera. Shirt one comes off the line finished um, the same day as shirt 100 or shirt 1000 or whatever it is, you know, like within the same little time frame because everything's done, being done in what's called piecework, like piece by piece manufacturing. Does that make sense? You follow me so far? Yeah, you're working on one particular shirt for the day or whatever, and you'll make, you know, 400 of them in one day. Uh, but not one day, like weeks and weeks and weeks. Okay, like, got it. They're just, it's done like an assembly line, right? So that that is where the manufacturing process comes from is like the Henry Ford style assembly line. Like one person does one action all day and it, the pieces move down the line. Um, so basically the seamstress just doesn't have these like perfect little puzzle pieces to work with. She has like a larger piece of cloth and needs to you no, know, just make no. the whole thing. No, so she'll we'll still give her cut pieces usually. Sometimes she'll cut it herself, but like she still does it off the pattern. The difference is she sits with her sewing machine and just does each individual action herself, which is just more time consuming than putting it down an assembly line. Okay. You know what I mean? Like right, right. um she'll get the shirt done in a half a day, but the actual hours that we pay her to do it takes significantly longer than like the actual man hours taken to do the assembly line process. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, of yeah. course. Okay. Um, so it's not scalable to have just 
a seamstress doing everything one by one. That's like a custom shirt company would do that, right? Um, like a, a, a bespoke tailor would do one by one pieces. Um, that's not how we do things. Um, however, when I told you we're looking at creating a faster product, like improving our, improving our manufacturing speed a little while ago, what we're doing is looking to implement, you know, we're, so we're looking now in, in kind of the last phases of starting up our own factory. We'll still be partnered with, with IELTS factory. We're looking to start up our own factory to handle a lot of our manufacturing needs. Um, and that will be based on the Toyota sewing system. If you ever want to do some research on lean manufacturing or, or to- the Toyota um, production system, that's what we're looking to do, which basically in a nutshell, instead of an assembly line where everyone's doing one operation day by day, um, everything would be in a U-shaped module. And instead of getting big bundles of pieces that get done in one by one by one, um, it's called single piece flow. So just like there's never more piece, there's never more garments being worked on than there are operators in the module. So like three or four operators in a module and they bounce from machine to machine and shirts come off one by one by one. So like your time to finish something is much, much, much quicker. And that manufacturing process was developed by Toyota, like post world war two, um, in order because, you know, Japan's economy was not in great shape for obvious reasons after World War II. So Toyota, in order to stay in business, needed to figure out a way to get paid faster. And this is an oversimplification of the whole thing, but they basically needed to, they tasked their lead engineer, um, their VP of manufacturing, whatever his title was, to come up with a way, like, how do we get paid faster? How do we, how do we cut down our lead time on these projects and get paid from our vendors faster? And what they came up with was... Um, just this this Toyota production system, this way of doing things in a sort of a modified one by one version, um, as opposed to doing everything in assembly line. And there's a whole other host of benefits to that, including like people don't feel like a machine where they're just sitting doing one action over and over again. They feel more like part of a team because they're jumping from machine to machine and cross training and learning and interacting with each other. Um, but you know the the crux of it is basically like you can your shirt, like your shirts are done in minutes as opposed to like, or days as opposed to weeks. And that's what we're looking to implement right now. Wow. That's really cool. I'm definitely not sure that I fully understood what this whole process works like, but that's, yeah, it's kind I of mean, hard to the just parts like that I do understand up. sound awesome. Yeah. It's kind of hard to just explain it without any sort of like diagram. or Yeah, graph. for sure. I'm definitely going to put a, find like a good YouTube video on it and, and like post a link on the website for this. Cause that sounds yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, so you launched your company and you said 2012, right? Yeah. So we started working on it, um, together in summer of 2012 and we, we launched the website in February of 2013, um, which is what I kind of consider like the launch of the company. Yeah. I, do you think that this is something that even could have happened in, let's say, like the 90s or something? Or that this, it, like, I I feel like with the craft movement in the United States, people mm-hmm. have basically just gotten used to paying more for things. Like, they, they've gotten used to the concept of paying more for quality, I guess would be the way to put it. Um, do you think that your brand could have even existed or been a thing at a time before 2012, like like before you decided to start or that it was really like the right time for your brand? Um, it's tough to say. I think that our business model could have existed in the nineties. Um, you know, just our approach, you know, the way we're approaching things, which is like, you know, basically we're just trying to build a cool brand and, and have an underlying infrastructure of efficient manufacturing and, and good business practices. So I think that package could have existed then. Um, not the way we're doing it. I don't think our brand would have resonated qu- quite the same. Like, like you said, like the craft movement made in USA thing. Like I think the brand that we have built kind of resonates with that target market. And then our distribution model would not have worked in the '90s because we the direct consumer thing was next to impossible. When um, you know we wouldn't have been able to start and, and sell through our website because there wouldn't have been enough people to buy through the website back in the '90s. Um, but like you know, what we're doing is 
sort of like what Zara does or what J Crew does. You know, Zara is a much more efficient example, but like a vertically integrated type brand um, that's just like building an interesting brand with good business practices underneath. Like that can exist anytime. Um, I don't think our specific like stock manufacturing co, uh, you know, sold directly online would have existed in the nineties. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. How have things like Amazon and like other huge websites impacted your business now? Like there's just this thing. I, I, I always feel so bad for regular businesses online nowadays in terms of like just cost of shipping to people and stuff. Like whenever I go to ship something to somebody, it's like, ten dollars to ship something that weighs like one pound or something you know Mm -hmm. and it's like yet if you're buying you can literally go on amazon right now and buy like a set of weights and it'll be like a hundred pounds and they'll ship it to you in two days for free and that i feel like it's just got to be such a pain in the ass for someone that owns an online business yeah so i i think honestly that sort of revolution that's been driven by amazon the way we approach is really just like taking cues and inspirations from that um amazon as a as a distribution platform doesn't really affect us because we have um uh what do you want to call it like we we control the product right like we're selling a unique product that you can't get anywhere else so like that's i think a big big disadvantage to stores that are selling other people's things instead of controlling their own product. Like you may might go look on some website and see something you like. Um, and then you go to Amazon and they offer free two day shipping and it's 19% cheaper than, than where you were already looking, right. you know, like a, a pair of boots or a winter hat or something like that. Right. That's available everywhere. You can just, you know, you go look on Amazon and find it for cheaper um, even more so for things like household goods or, you know, whatever that, you know, Amazon does most of their sales on. Um, for us, it's like we're not competing with Amazon for who's going to buy our product because, like, it's only available through us. As far as the free shipping and, like, time to get things there, I think Amazon serves as, like, a, a barometer to, like, push ourselves against, right? Like, how do we figure out how to get things to be real quicker? Like, we don't like we have always offered free shipping for anything over I think 50 bucks. It used to be anything and now it's any order over 50 bucks because people were buying like $19 t-shirts and it's costing us 10 bucks to ship to them. But like you just got to be smart about your pricing model. Like know that it's going to cost you six to $10 to ship domestically. So just like pay attention to that when you're pricing things out. Um, you know, I think a customer is way more likely to buy a $30 t-shirt with free shipping than they are a 30 uh than they are a 25 dollar t-shirt that you have to pay 5.99 to ship or 4.99 to ship yeah so like you just you just think about it that way like like um customer psyches like what people really care about free shipping but like a, a few bucks extra on a shirt may or may not break their decision yeah it's that's so interesting it's <laughs> it's so true man um jim talk about how where you are from impacts the business for lack of a better way to talk about it when you go on your website and you look at your brand it just it feels very chicago-y which mm-hmm. is great and that's awesome um and it just like encapsulates the city that you're from and the whole vibe how do you feel like being from chicago and having the business run in chicago impacts the business and and you know your whole vision well, I, I think a big part of it is like we have, we always had like the, you know, our name is inspired by the Chicago Stockyards. So that was like the kind of the foundation on which Chicago was built into a major industry and a major city throughout the 19th and early 20th century. Um, and it was a service as kind of a hub for white, you know, I don't want to say white collar, but like innovation as well as blue collar job creation. Like, Immigrants came to Chicago in droves, like Irish, Italian, Polish, like to get jobs at the stockyards. It was shitty. They were shitty jobs and very unglamorous, but like it was a place to come to America and work and kind of carve out your your new identity for yourself. And that is really the backbone that Chicago is built on. Um, and then 
kind of along with that is it, it was a, a center for for industry innovation, right? Like um, the uh, like st- basically the Chicago Board of Trade, the Chicago um, stock markets were built off people speculating on the outputs of the different slaughterhouses at the stockyards that year, like basically betting on it. And that's where the, the board of trade was born from. Henry Ford actually came up with the idea for the assembly line from the killing floors of the slaughterhouses, like touring them. Um, so it was a place where, where really like industry was pushed forward in America, but also like was a backbone of, of job creation. That's kind of like the sort of the two pillars that our, our company was started off of. And when we launched, like we had that sort of Chicago story, but we didn't like put, we didn't double down on the Chicago branding quite as much. And then we realized like that's our part of our unique, that's what's resonating with people. So like we've put that Chicago centric aspect much more uh, forward. And a big reason for that too is like we look around, like you go to New York or LA or wherever, like there's a million people trying to start clothing companies. There's a million brands just like you out there. Like, um, I mean, I think we were doing something pretty unique, but we're the only people doing this in Chicago. Like we are as far as like ready to wear men's clothing brands, probably the biggest one in Chicago right now. And like, we would be a flea in New York, you know? So the, the idea of building something like this in Chicago is kind of unique and sort of out there. So like, we just decided like, let's just really kind of put Chicago as a company and as part of our brand in the forefront because really there's no one else that can do that. Yeah, definitely, man. And it, it, it permeates all aspects of everything from mm-hmm. like the, uh, and I'm sure that I'm sure this is thought out, but like from obviously the, the clothes themselves to like the models on your site and everything, it's like everyone, it, there's just a very like manly image to everything, mm-hmm. which it's men's clothes. So that's great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but it, it just has this very like, um, I don't know if rugged's the right word, probably not, but just like more like a, a workman's, you know, apparel, uh, but like nice, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, that's, you nail it. That's exactly what we go for. Like, if you notice, like a lot of our photography has like, you know, a little darker, a lot of shadows and contrast. And um, yeah, we try to choose models that look a little more like real guys. Like, we, we don't, we haven't used a lot of like angular boyish models, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, and yeah, like that, our, our clothing is meant to be sort of a reflection of Chicago. Like Chicago is a big city with a lot of different people in it. So I don't think there is like one piece of clothing that is Chicago, but like our fits are, you know, they're trim, but they're not skinny, right? Like we, we try to fit the guys that live in Chicago, like more larger, hardier Midwestern stock, um, but still like looks smart and, and clean, um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's just kind of the approach we've taken to building the brand is everything sort of weaves together. Yeah, it's cool because that, I mean, that really does differentiate as well between the LA and New York thing, you know, yeah. uh, you're talking about the fit and the the thickness and, you know, whatever mm-hmm. else. Um, cool, man. Talk about the importance in your history of like partnerships and networking and stuff like that. Obviously, at the beginning of the interview, you talked about, um, some of the stuff that happened with making uniforms for people and everything, but it's like, you guys have gotten just so much press and like mm-hmm. have so many great partnerships and stuff. Now, um, tell us a little bit more about like how some of the press stuff happened and just like the importance in your mind of, of if you're going to try to go your own way and start your own thing of like networking with people and partnering with other people. Yeah. So, um, we just kind of recognized early on that, we just didn't have a marketing budget. Like how do you, how do you build an e-com company? Like every other competitor in our space was a VC funded company. Like how do you build an online brand without a marketing budget? And we realized that we have this huge weapon at our disposal, which is the fact that we can not just design everything, but make it as well. Um, and we use that as sort of our, sort of our foot in the door to just start ta- finding people to collaborate with. Like, and what we started doing um, just a few months into being in business was like working with, I mean, now you call them influencers. I don't think you even call them influencers back then, but like working with people with like a large Tumblr following or a large Instagram following, which at the time is also pretty like very new. Um, 
And there's all these people who have these big platforms. Tumblr was, was really the big one back then. But like people have these big followings and they're creative. They're into clothing. They're into style and, and, and design. And how are they monetizing these platforms? Like, they're, how are they monetizing these followers? Um, and all these guys, like all these guys that we were following, it's like they're all creative and they want to do interesting, cool things. And they all think everyone thinks they're a clothing designer. And they also are sitting on these gold mine of like people that really value their opinion and their style. Why don't we find these people that are like that and let them co-design little capsule collections with us? Like, well, we were doing things. Um, all pre-sale at the time too. So like we weren't taking any inventory risks. We didn't have any money to take any inventory risks. Um, and we basically like we, we worked with, this is like July of 2013, did a collaboration with four different menswear, like influencer type people, all based in New York. Um, they were bloggers, photographers, a stylist, and a guy that ran like a, a pretty well-known lifestyle website. We worked on the four of them. We created one cohesive clothing collection that had one piece of clothing each of them designed um put them up for pre-sale every couple weeks like piece by piece over the course of like two months pre-sold them made them distributed them to the people that bought them and we saw our our traffic our revenue everything just skyrocketed during that time i mean it still wasn't a big number like right now that would be like an average month for us but like if at the time you know we're going from $2,000 a month in e-com to like 10000 And that was a huge jump for us. And we were like, all right, we're on to something here. So we started aggressively pursuing collaborations. Um, and that is sort of how that, that was our model for building the business was we're going to get eyeballs on the site by working with people that already have eyeballs on what they're doing and giving them a way to make money off their following and to like let their creative juices flow. So each of these partners we paid a commission to um, based on what sold. And that was the model for how we started. Like we got rid of, we stopped doing pre-sale um, a couple of years ago. Like we, we just kind of realized we were at this tipping point where like we thought we had a hunch that people we'd sell more if people didn't have to wait three months for things, you know, like we, uh, like Kickstarter or whatever, like people are used to waiting for the rewards. We we're like, you know, we're an up and coming fashion brand. Like people might just want to get the stuff right away instead of waiting a few months. I mean, I have the patience yeah. and we did that. We had enough money to like actually commit to inventory then and it paid off. Um, and so that all just kind of built. And then sort of the accumulation of that last year is we did, um, we did a collaboration with it in the fall, early fall with a couple of menswear brands that like we really admired that were around our size or a little bit bigger on either coast. Um, that did pretty well. And then that went right into our collaboration with Miller High Life, which was sort of like the accumulation of all of these different partnerships we've been working on over a few years. Like that collaboration we did with High Life was like put us on kind of another level, right? So um, it was it was cool, like seeing like this vision we had from a few years ago. Okay, like let's work with these people. I think a lot of interesting people and brands would be willing to work with us because we can control the whole process and really help people get their vision put out there. And let's build our brand underneath that as we do these different collaborations. And it really came to a head with the highlight thing. And it was, um, it was cool to kind of see that vision played out two, three years after we thought of it, you know, dude, that is so cool. Um, all right, dude, let's wind this thing down and give people some advice if they want to make their own clothing company, or I guess it'll probably be pretty general advice for starting your own business. Um, but I guess the first piece of advice I would want to tackle or just like philosophical thing to maybe talk about is we've talked about a lot of like these great things that have happened for you in the past few years. It, has it just been this like consistent, you know, things just get better and better and better and better and better? Or is it like some great thing will happen and then things slow down for a little bit? And it's, you know, it's not always just things are being awesome and they just keep getting better. Oh no! There, I'd say more bad things happen than good things. Like, <laughs> All right, I'm happy to hear you say that because that's not, a great thing for people to hear. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I'll tell you, like, we didn't even pay ourselves for like two years. Like, we were, um, you know, like I was driving Uber in the morning and then going into work. Right, like we were all working full time on this and also making figuring out ways ways to like have some rent money and and stuff. Um, that was it's a long time to like not have any money so um basically everything we're doing because we didn't really get we got a little bit outside investment um like 
in the grand scheme of running a clothing, an online clothing brand, we got a very small amount of money a couple of years back, um, which helped us get to the sort of the next level. But, um, you know, for the most part, this company has been funded by what we sell. Um, so we were putting like all of our money back into the company. So that in and of itself was a very difficult thing to get through. Um, and since then, like, you know, I'm sure every business has its ups and downs, but when you're talking about a clothing company where we're buying raw materials from a bunch of different vendors, a lot of them are so old school, they don't even email invoices. They still mail us shit. So like they mess things up. Then we're manufacturing and there's a million things that can go wrong during manufacturing process. Then, I mean, it's just the list goes on and on of like the variables where things can go wrong. Um, and they all have for us every, like you do <laughs> everything you possibly do like to, to safeguard against and like stuff still goes wrong. Um, but then, yeah, also like just up and down low wise, like you have this really action packed month and then things kind of, Taper off, and that's sort of the name of the game in the retail too. Like no one online shop, no one shops in January, right? Like people don't shop as much in the midsummer months. Like you know, um, it, it's just kind of like you just sort of got to ride that wave and make sure you're still doing like when when you're not so busy that you have a million inbound things coming in. You really got to learn how to make like your downtime count too. Like you got to be proactive about doing things to like work on the business. So when you are really busy, like you have those mechanisms in place where you're not just everything's not breaking. Oh, dude, that is great advice. Great advice. Uh, any other like specific advice you'd like to hand out to people looking to start a, a clothing company? Um, I, I think clothing company or any company. Um, the thing that I always tell people is like, just make sure what you're doing has a there's a reason for it, right? Don't. I think I just sort of alluded to this in my last comments, but like. Don't just start that something because you you want to start your own business. You know, like make make sure you're filling a gap or a need or are saying something unique because like there are a lot of people out there. There's a lot of brands, a lot of established companies, a lot of startup companies, a lot of people. Like there's just a lot of competition out there, and you should really make sure that like don't just ask like your friends that are yes men about if this sounds cool. Like ask some people that are dicks too. Like ask some people you don't know. <laughs> you know, like don't just ask them like, Hey, does this sound cool? Ask them if they'd use it. Like try to make sure that you're filling a niche before just like quitting. And I would also say, you're going to quit your job to start your own thing and self fund it. Like make sure you have another (laughs) revenue stream, like bartending or doing something before you just quit and do your own thing. Um, because whatever money you have saved up will go very quickly. I found that out the hard way. Man, I uh, I can appreciate everything you're saying right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, dude, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. That was fun. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I wonder how I could help Blake out. First of all, you are probably the nicest person in the entire world. Secondly, all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show. I would really appreciate it. If you're sitting there and thinking man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby, I should totally be on the show, then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.